Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to read there in just a moment. We're going to talk about the purposes and the um, of our church and why God made the church and what it's about. And um, we're in a series called This Is Us. And so we've been looking at some of our our mission, our values. We talked about how we want to glorify God. We talked about the great commandment, the great commission, and how that those go together to help us to bring glory to the Lord. We talked about being God-centered, really centering our lives on Him, being Bible-based. And this morning, we're going to talk about being purpose-guided. And so here's a principle I want you to get. And if you're watching online, you can write this down. Or if you're here in person, write this principle down, if you would, please. We exist to glorify God by following His purposes for our church. We exist to glorify God by following His purposes for our church. We're going to talk about five purposes, five ways that we glorify God in just a moment. We'll talk about the pattern and the purpose of the church. Some of you probably know the name Billy Graham, but if you're younger, maybe you don't know. He probably preached to more people uh, than any other person, preached the message of the gospel all over the world, an evangelist for a long time, passed away a few years ago. So Billy Graham, this is long years ago, was preaching in what was then the Soviet Union, and there was a lot of controversy about him doing that. And someone said about Billy Graham, they said, uh, He's going to set the church back 50 years. And the reporters came to him to get his reaction to that. And he said, oh, I want to apologize. I want to apologize because it's not my intention to set the church back 50 years. It's my intention to set the church back 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And so I want us to go back to the early church. God made the church for a reason. Back to the purposes of for which God made it. So we can see a little glimpse from them in Acts 2 about the pattern and the purposes of the church today. So let's read in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. We're going to pick up right at the end of a sermon by Peter at a, at a Pentecost. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, let's talk about what this means to glorify God by following His purposes for our church. And I want to talk about the pattern God gives us here and the purpose for the church. The church is a God thing. God made the church as a reason for it. I want us to see uh, the first thing I want you to note. If you're a note taker, just write this down. God has a pattern for the church. And we're going to talk about the pattern for the church, five parts of the pattern for the church, and then we're going to talk about the purpose for the church. So let's, no let's note this 
kind of pattern that we see played out in the church, um, five things. Number one, there's proclamation that leads to conviction. Proclamation leads to conviction. So we see the early church proclaiming the message of the gospel. This is a, the end of a sermon from Peter proclaiming the gospel message, and we see people doing it individually. People like the deacon Philip sharing the gospel with a man, the government official from Ethiopia. He, he shares the gospel with him personally. So personally and publicly, people are proclaiming the gospel. They're telling people about the message of God. That's the proclamation. They even said things like, some strong things like, Jesus, whom you crucified, and God made him both Lord and Messiah. They said things like, um, verse 40, with many other words, he testified, many other words, by the way, long sermons are not a new thing, and he testified, that is, he told what God had done in him, and he strongly urged them. He didn't just, you know, take it or leave it. I mean, he cared about them, and he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. He's saying, our generation, the generation he lived in then, was corrupt. By the way, every generation is. This generation is. We are corrupt because God made us for a purpose. God gave us a pattern. We rebel against God, and there's a corruption in our lives and hearts. We turn from God's Word, from God's plan, from obedience to God, and we do our own thing. And he's saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. You need to be saved, he's saying. You need something more than just doing better. You need to be saved, and you need to be different than this world. That's the proclamation, and that leads to conviction. Notice the conviction in verse at 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? I mean, they are pierced. The proclamation of the word, the full truth of the gospel, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the message that Jesus loves you, but you are broken, you are sinful, you are fallen. This generation is corrupt, every generation, every life, every man, woman, boy, or girl. We, we sin against God who is holy, but God has done something about it. He sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the grave and conquer death and hell, and to offer us salvation. And they would hear this message, and they were convicted. That's the work of God. God convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. God does that. He shows us that we need something more than ourselves. He pierces us to the heart. Some of you will hear this message today online or in person, and God will use this in your life to pierce that shell that you've erected that says, I don't need God, or I'm okay on my own, or I'll just try to kind of self-improve and do a little bit better. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of your need for God, that only Christ could do what you need. You need something more than self. So proclamation leads to conviction. Number two, note, conviction leads to salvation. Conviction leads to salvation. Verse 41 says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. People were saved. They trusted Christ as Savior. Conviction is leading somewhere. God doesn't just tell us we're wrong, and that's the conviction. You've fallen short. You've messed up. You've sinned against God. God's holy, and you're not. It's leading us somewhere. God uses it to point us to our need for Christ. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 people at Pentecost trusted Christ as Savior. Their lives were changed by the power of the gospel. And then number three, note that salvation leads to devotion. Salvation is not the end, not in the New Testament. Salvation is the beginning. And it leads somewhere. It leads to devotion. 
twice in this passage the word devotion is used. In verse 42, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. We'll talk about that verse later. In verse 46, the Bible says every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. So the Bible is telling us that salvation was not the end but the beginning, and there was a devotion in their lives, and God in heaven wants that pattern for us. Not just that we would trust Christ as Savior, and that's it, got a, kind of a ticket to heaven and it's over, but the beginning that leads us to a greater love for God. God wants us, He loves us, and He wants us to love Him, a devotion to Him, to the things He cares about, to the things He loves. That's the natural and normal pattern. Now, it's not the common pattern always in the church of the Lord Jesus, but it's the natural pattern from the spiritual perspective of what God wants from us. Salvation leads to devotion, and then devotion leads to ministry. Devotion leads to ministry. So the more they loved the Lord, the more they wanted to love others. The more they appreciated what God had done for them, the more they wanted to do for others. And so we see throughout the pages of the book of Acts, service, their use of spiritual gifts, they use their time and their treasure and their talents for the glory of God. We see that throughout the pages of the New Testament. A desire to serve others, a desire to get involved in ministry. We have more children starting to come back each week now to church, and the preschool children's ministry is you know, really dependent, of course, on how many workers come back, how many people are willing to teach preschoolers and children, especially at 940 hours, just a lot of children in that hour, and I'm so glad to see some people starting to come back and say, I'm willing to serve, and I'll, I'll help teach little boys and girls. You don't get a lot of glory for that. You don't always get a lot of notoriety for teaching preschoolers and children, but it is so natural that our salvation leads to devotion, and that devotion leads to our service and ministry. And I'm grateful for people who say, God, I want to be, I want to use my talents and gifts for your glory. And then number five, ministry leads to impact. Ministry leads to impact. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. God did the miracles, of course, but he used the, he used the apostles. Verse 47 says, every day the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. I mentioned earlier that 3,000 people trusted Christ that day. There was an impact, an impact for God's glory through these things. Proclamation that led to conviction, and then the conviction of sin that led to salvation, and then salvation led to a deeper devotion, and then devotion led people to minister and serve in the Lord's name, and that led to an impact, and the world was changed. Of all, by, what a crazy thing to change the world by the church. I just finished a long biography. I like biographies and I like history. And I finished a long biography on Abraham Lincoln recently. You've heard of Abraham Lincoln. What a shocking guy to be used. I was reminded reading this book. He's, what a, it's so surprising that a guy like Lincoln would be at such a pivotal moment in the Civil War and the emancipation of millions of people. Lincoln did not get much formal education. He estimated he had less than three years of formal education his entire life. You have to like read by candlelight and things, self-educated. He didn't have any, I didn't come out of wealth. I mean, his, his dad would like go into the wilderness and hack out the, enough trees to build a log cabin from it right there. I mean, they had almost nothing. He didn't even have national um, 
office or position. He, he had served, before he became president, he'd only served in the House of Representatives for two years in Washington. And just a couple of years before he became the president of the United States, he lost his election for the Senate. He lost. Nobody would have said, well, this guy's obviously destined for greatness. I mean, he's, you know, rich, powerful, educated, comes from the right family. None of that. None of that. But how much more shocking is it of all the things God would use to change the world, it was the, the church, fishermen, and tax collectors. They had no power. They had no money. They didn't have any influence. They didn't have political positions. But through the power of the Holy Spirit in them, the world was changed by the power of God. And the, the world was impacted by God's power. And I want you to see that God in heaven wants that pattern for us that we proclaim the truth and God uses that to convict sinners of their need for the Lord and people come to know Christ as Savior and that leads to a deeper devotion and ultimately that leads us to serve the Lord which always leads to an impact and God wants to do that through people like us. I don't think I'd pick the church, but God picked the church. The New Testament didn't know anything of the kind of common, more modern mindset that says, you know, I'm, I like Jesus, you know, but I don't like his church. Man, they were, they believed that God was using the church. And I'm, listen, I'm optimistic about the power of the church. And I know what our church, I know the weaknesses of our church, I think. I know enough about my own heart and your heart, enough to know that it ought not, it ought not to be this church that impacts our community for God's glory. But it's God's power using people like you and me that accomplishes his purposes. And in the book of Acts, we see God empower and God bring the impact and God change lives and change the world. And the spread of the gospel is remarkable. And I want that pattern for our church. But there's a second thing I want us to talk about. Would you write down, this down in your notes? God has a purpose for the church. Not only a pattern, but a purpose for the church. And if you ever go to the membership class, I always talk about these five purposes for the church and how the purpose of our church is to glorify God, but these are five ways that we do that, five things that we do to honor and glorify and obey the Lord himself. So I want to ask you to write these five down because I, I want us to know them. I want us to understand this. I want us to see this. I want it to be a part of the fabric of our church, that we recognize God wants to do these things in and through us just as he did 2,000 years ago. So let's note these five principles together. Would you write this down? Whether you're online or in person, would you just write this down? Number one, the first purpose I want to talk about is discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship is growing deeper in our understanding of and commitment to God. Discipleship is growing deeper in our understanding of God. We know more of who he is. The more we know of who God is, the more we can understand about our own need, our own selves, our own lives. And it's growing deeper in our commitment to God. We want to follow him and obey him and do what he says. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, they wanted to learn. Last week, we talked about being Bible-based. We want to learn things like doctrine. What does the Bible say about God or about uh, human nature or uh, about the role of the Holy Spirit, or we want to know what God has to say. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They loved the church. 
They were pro-church. They believed that not only should they love Jesus, but they should love his bride. And that Jesus formed the church for a reason. And that they ought to be actively involved in that. And so they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, the Bible says. They cared about each other. There was a connection, a deep connection with each other. We'll talk about that more in fellowship. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. They said, we want to learn about God, but we want to be connected to God. And we want, to, we want to talk to him in prayer. We want to ask God to give us direction and guidance. We want to know his word, and we want to talk to him in prayer. And the Bible tells us they were devoted to these things and growing deeper in their understanding of God and deeper in their commitment to God. It, in a sense, was the foundation of the early church. When you came into the building today, maybe you noticed, I don't know, maybe you noticed the parking lot, or maybe you noticed the walls, and we have a ceiling, we're really you know, sort of glad for that, but you don't pay a lot of attention to the foundation, though you may notice the floor a little bit, but the, we have a foundation here. Those of you who have been here long enough to remember when the church, when this church building was built, and it, we, the foundation just, it cost a whole lot of money, and it took a lot of time and effort and work, and nobody even hardly looks at it. I mean, all you see is the very top of it, sort of. I mean, the carpeting on top, that's all, but it was Everything else stands because of the foundation. And there's a sense in which discipleship is about the foundation of our individual lives and our church. We're saying in discipleship, we want to, our Christian life matters, and it's the foundation of all that we do. We want to be devoted to God and the things of God. We want to grow deeper. We don't want to be shallow. You know, the, if you're a shallow Christian, and if you are, plenty of company in that. But if you're a shallow Christian, you might not even realize you're a shallow Christian. But at some time in life, if you live long enough in this fallen world, there's going to be some dry times, and you'll find out how shallow you are in those difficult moments. You'll find out how weak your faith is when the storms blow of life. But the deep faith, the deep foundation, that matters, and God wants you to grow deeper. There's a second purpose of the church. So we said we want to grow deeper in our faith. We want to learn more about the things of God. The second purpose of the church is what we're calling ministry. Ministry. Ministry is demonstrating God's love by caring for the needs of people. It's demonstrating God's love by caring for the needs of people. So the Bible tells us in verse 44, all the believers were together. They held all things in common. They sold the possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So they said, well, we're not just going to know the Lord and grow personally, but we're going to care about other people. We're not just going to love God, but we're also going to choose because of that to love others. And so they were actively involved in helping others. And we see that throughout the pages of Acts. They would help widows in need. They cared about other people. They were involved in lives. Let's just note a few words that help us to understand a little bit about what ministry is about. The word compassion helps us. Compassion is about the love of Christ. And that's the motivation for ministry. The more we recognize God loves us, the better we are able to love others. The more we love God, the easier it is to love others. We don't love others because they're always lovable. God didn't love you because of your winsome personality and lovable nature. He loved you though you were a sinner and fallen and unworthy of that love, but he loved you. 
And we don't love people because they're worthy of love. We love them because God loved us. And we choose to love other people and care about them. And there's a compassion about that. We have some empathy. We care about those people in need or care about the opportunities that are before us. Another aspect of ministry is service, serving others, using our opportunities to serve like Jesus. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Bible says he didn't come to be served, but to serve, but to serve. And he wants us to have that attitude. And we see that over and over in the early church where they said, how can we serve other people? How can we have a compassion for them? How can we serve them, not just what's in it for me? Or a word like giving helps us to understand ministry. I'm making my faith more than what I get. I want to make it about more than what I just get. So much of the Christian world just about what's in it for me. So there's a difference between what I would call consumerism and the Christian life. Consumerism is saying, I want to get, I want to receive, I want to have, I want to be served. So someone needs to serve me, someone needs to provide for me, someone needs to give to me. That's a very common mindset. If that's your mindset, it's partly because of your own selfish nature. We all have that tendency towards selfishness apart from Christ. And also because our culture tells us that's how we ought to think. What's in it for you? We bring that with us to church even. And we begin to see church as consumers. This is something I get. But the Christian life is about giving and serving and caring and ministry. And I want you to learn that lesson of ministry in your Christian life and to see that God saved you not just for you and he loves you not just so you can get but he wants you involved in ministry there's a place for you there are spiritual gifts you have that no one else has there's a role for you that no one else in the church can take God has made the body of Christ he puts us together for a reason as he does and all of us have a role we have different ministries none of us have the same exact roles we all have different responsibilities but all of us are to be involved in ministry, would you begin to ask God, God, what is it you want to do with me and, and through me? How can I serve you more effectively? Is there some ministry that I can be a part of? Is there some connection that I can make in that regard? Would you give me more compassion, a desire to serve, a willingness to give? Help me to think in those ways. There's a third purpose God has for the church. Would you write this word down? Write the word fellowship. Fellowship. It's a great Bible term. It's about knowing, supporting, and strengthening other believers. Knowing, supporting, and strengthening other believers. Verse 44 says, now all the believers were together. They were together and held all things in common. I mean, they, they were connected. They knew each other's names. I mean, they had some connection together. Or skip down to verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And broke bread from house to house. So there was this connection. And that, that gets lost easily in Christian life. I, th I think some people almost think the Christian life is supposed to be something like this. There's this guy named, uh, a Syrian monk, long centuries ago, named Simon Stylites. And he lived for 37 years on the top of a pillar. He built a little platform 
on the top of a pillar, and he lived on the top of that for 37 years. He had little boys like crawl up and bring him food, or he had a little pulley system to get food and drink up to him and things like that. 37 years. He was, maybe he was an introvert. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. You know, he had that. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, God did not make you for isolation. I mean, there's times where you need to get, a, you need to get away from people. I mean, believe me, there are just times. I mean, I, I love people. Not all the time, you know, but I, I mean, like, there are times, absolutely, be, be still and get alone with God and that prayer closet matters. But God made us for fellowship. It's one of the reasons God made the church is because we need each other. In fact, we could think about it like this. Three important parts of our growth. One is individually. Take personal responsibility for your growth. We grow individually. Read the Bible for yourself. Spend personal devotions alone with God. The second part is small groups. We need some people who know our names, and we know their names. They know our needs, and we know their needs. They care about us, and we care about them, not just in theory, but in the practice. We need some small groups. Our life groups matter deeply to us because it's a way for us to connect with each other when someone has a difficulty or a challenge. I love seeing life groups rally around people in need and caring about them. They're the people who already know them. And so when there's a loss, I, a, a former member had moved away some, a few years ago, has family still in our church and passed away over this weekend. And who's going to rally? Who cares for that, for families that are grieving and hurting? It's the people who know them. Groups like the life groups that care about them. So individually in small groups and the church body as a whole. All of these are a part of our spiritual growth. God puts all of these into our lives as a means by which we grow. And fellowship, while for many Christians they see it as one individually, I'm just going to do my own thing. And listen, God could have made it that way. He could have made it that he didn't have to form the church. He could have just said, listen, you're do your own thing and learn on your own and get your Bible and get on top of a pillar somewhere and live up there for the rest of your life. But instead, he made the church and he put us together and he connects us because whether we realize it or not, we need each other. Whether we understand it or like it, we need each other. And so God in his sovereign will and his wisdom and power put the church together and we need fellowship there's a fourth principle i'd like you to know the fourth purpose of the church and that's worship 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 is our expression of love to god it's our expression of love to god verse 47 tells us first end of verse 46 says they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts but could i just say as an aside if you want a miserable way to live you just make life about you you know, no ministry, no fellowship. But, but these guys were joyful and sincere hearts, and it came out of their discipleship and their ministry and their fellowship. And then it says in verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Praising God. Let me just say a word about praise. Praise is thanking God for who he is. It is, technically speaking, slightly different than thankfulness. Thankfulness is thanking God for what he's done. We ought to be thankful. But praise is thanking God for who he is. This is a subtle but important difference. So we certainly want to thank God for what he's given to us. 
But for many people, the only prayer they pray is really sort of thank you, God, for what you've given to me, and now give me more. And praise is where we just, we're not just thanking God for what he's given to us or even just asking him for our needs. Those are important things to do. But praising God for who he is, it's just our connection to God, our deep love for him personally. And God calls us to praise. Many of the Psalms are Psalms of praise, where they're not even thanking God for what he's done, though Psalms do that sometimes, or other songs of the Old Testament may be about other issues, but very often it's not surprising to see them just thanking God for who he is. Notice a couple of things about praise, about worship. Oh, notice it says praising God. We're not praising, we're not praising self or anything else. We're, thank, we're praising God. We don't worship worship. We don't worship music. We're thankful for music. It's a gift God gives. He's given us this gift. It's wonderful. We don't worship style. All kinds of backgrounds just in our own church family. All kinds of traditions and styles, but we don't worship style. We don't worship feelings. We're thankful for the feelings God can provide to us, but we don't worship music or style or feelings. We worship God, and we worship Him only. And there is a desire in us, created by God in us, to worship. And so we find ourselves, even if we're drifting from God, or even for those who don't know Christ as Savior at all, there's this desire to fill their lives with something. And so there's this tendency to find an idol if we don't worship the Lord. We worship God, not celebrity. Many in our world are worshiping kind of worshiping celebrity, the greatest athlete, the newest singer, the most popular figure, and we end up kind of having a worship for celebrity. We don't worship things. We don't worship the houses God provided for us or the things he's put in our lives. We don't worship self. We're thankful for all the blessings God gives to us, all the provision he makes, all the opportunities he provides, all the talents he gives but we don't worship ourselves. We make terrible idols. All of those things do. Terrible, terrible idols. We worship God. And we give him praise because he is worthy. And the church that gets this right says, it is, we are about the Lord and we want to be connected to him and we love him and the things of God and we're going to worship him. And number five, would you write this down? Evangelism. The purpose of the church, one of the purposes of the church is evangelism. Helping others encounter God's grace. Helping others encounter God's grace. So the Bible tells us in verse 41, 3,000 people accepted this message of the gospel, were baptized in one day. And then the Bible says in verse 47, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the early church just couldn't help but share the gospel. They didn't think, you know, I've got bread for myself. I don't need to share it with other beggars now that I've found it. They said, they need what I found. And I care about them. And I want them to discover the power and the purpose and the blessing of knowing the Lord as Savior. I want them to be forgiven of their sins. I want them to discover that same hope. And they shared the gospel with other people because they cared about other people and because they appreciated what the Lord had done for him. For themselves and so they helped others encounter God's grace. Next week we'll talk about being outward focused. It's an important one for us because it's why why in the world would we care about people who aren't here yet? We'll talk about that next week. Why should we care? We've got enough needs right here. We're going to talk about being outward focused next week. So uh, about 30 years ago, something like that, I've only been here for it'll be 26 years this summer, but before that I was 
I grew up here and I moved to Texas for seminary and I pastored a church there for, uh, for 10 years, First Baptist Church of Corinth, Texas. And I didn't know much of anything. I was really young when I came and that church was just good to me and kind to me and loved me despite the f- uh, frailness of their pastor. <laughs> I'll just tell you, it was, God got a hold of that church in some great ways. We were, so I'm going to tell about, you know, maybe six or seven years into, this, into my time there, we were really praying, our church was really praying to, that we would see people come to know Christ as Savior. We should care. I mean, a, ch- a church should care about those things. I'll maybe tell you a little bit next week about uh, a, a, an event or two at Corinth and some things God did there. But we were praying concertedly about a revival meeting that we would have where we would try to share the gospel with a large number of people. And we had a night that was just uh, one of the most remarkable nights in my life and ministry. So God used a lot of circumstances. We had a youth night this particular night. God used a lot of circumstances, including uh, there had uh, been an accident. A young lady was killed, a teenage girl who was in our church, and God used the circumstances through her godly life to kind of get attention of the people in the surrounding community. And, and our, that night of our youth night, we had the church building. Teenagers just came. I mean, they just came, and they showed up, and they filled that church building. And I don't mean a little bit filled it. I mean filled it as only teenagers can. And when teenagers have a mind to do it, they can press pretty tightly together. And it was, it was so full that the senior adults could not find a place to sit. Senior adults paid for the building. You know, we relocated while we were there. They paid... The teenagers did not pay for the building, I'll just tell you that. Those other kids are coming from the community. They didn't pay, the senior adults did. But I watched as senior adults gave up their, their pews, their seats, and stood out, I mean, full, stood out in the atrium. And then when, it got, when that was full, out kind of in the street with the door open, the entire service. I could see from where I was sitting kind of in the corner in the front, I could see back a couple of deacons just looking around the corner. They couldn't get in. They're just looking around the corner, all the teenagers that were there. And there's just, in a sense, our integrity was at stake. Because we said as a church, we care about seeing people come to the Lord as Savior. It's one thing to care about people in theory. It's another when they take your pew, you know? When there's a bunch of loud, noisy teenagers filling up the worship center. That's another matter. But I watched as that church said, we care about whether boys and girls, men and women come to faith in Christ. And that night, for our congregation, been still, I mean, still fairly small. God had gotten a hold of it, it was still small. That night, 100 teenagers professed faith in Christ. In one night, 100 teenagers professed faith in Christ. It was such a remarkable night. I said, this is about God. It wasn't about us or our... We just, as best we knew how to do, we just said, God, we, you put us here for a reason. And we want to be the kind of church you want us to be. And God used that and blessed that and... God accomplished his purposes 
And we saw the pattern of the New Testament take place. And we saw the pattern, the purposes of the church take place. And listen, we're not trying to set the church back 50 years. We're trying to set the church back 2,000 years. We want to see the church of the New Testament alive in our day. That's what our world needs. That's what our culture needs. That's what this community needs. That's what your families and friends and classmates and co-workers need. They need the work of God done through the, through the people that he has called accomplished in our lifetime. And we're praying that God would use people like us. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we, as we bow, if you need to be saved, would you, t- would you just, if God's, the proclamation of the gospel has stirred your heart and you realize that you're a sinner who needs to be saved, would you give your life to Christ? Repent of your sins, the Bible says. Place your faith in Jesus who died and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior and you'll be saved. Christian, would you say, God, I want to be a part of the purpose for which you made me and saved me. And I want our church to be all that you want us to be, that we will follow your purposes and your guidance. Help us to follow you in discipleship and ministry and fellowship and worship and evangelism that glorifies your name. God, help us to be about that. And Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the work of the church. You made the church. You did it for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. And so, Lord, help us to fulfill that purpose individually and corporately to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.